Thank you, Leslie and Paul. Good to see you all here this afternoon. Thank you. <laughs> there would be a correction there in terminology. I don't know. There's no sense of an invitation, shall we say? But there. I see it, Jeff. I see. I can feel the skip in her step. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, very good. Well, we like to make you feel at home. That's, that's Well, trusting that you guys are having a great day, let's uh, take our Bibles this afternoon and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I would like to begin reading at verse 7 through the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Second Corinthians 4, verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest and our body. For we which live are already delivered unto the death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it, as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we're here with anticipation to meet you. We thank you, Father, that you are one to be trusted, that you are omnipotent, that you are sovereign, fully and completely in control. Father, the very sense that you loved us enough to send Jesus Christ, your son, to pay the penalty that was required to fully and completely, through the sense of justice, to deal with something that we could not. And to know that you had planned that before you even made anything. And Father, thank you that you are a God that knows everything. There is no beginning, there is no ending, for you are before and after. You are truly eternal. As you've said in the Old Testament, I am who I am. That's the God that we pray to and worship this day. We thank you for those that have been able to come out this afternoon. We would ask that you would refresh them today, that you would encourage them in the depths of their soul. And Father, that relationally, we will never have been closer than these moments together as we study the Word, as the Holy Spirit uses it to guide and direct our lives, our hearts. Father, that is our prayer as well, is that you take us where you want us today and that the Holy Spirit would truly and exclusively be our teacher. Father, we just humbly bow at your feet. We are nothing without you, but we are worthy because of what Jesus Christ did. Father, take us now where you want us to be. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're, uh, we have been in the past, uh, I guess, to maybe review some of the places that we've been. We spent uh, quite a bit of time on putting on the whole armor of God. And we took some time in, in taking each piece of the armor and seeing 
the significance of its entirety. You know, sometimes we pick and choose. We like to put on one thing and forget the rest. And we're very vulnerable to attacks that would come in areas that we would either feel confident in or not even giving notice or thoughts to. And those are very dangerous areas. And we talked a lot about that. In fact, we took our seri- that series was fairly lengthy. And one of the things that we also, I think we moved into next, was a sense of how do we mature? How is it? What is it that brings the sense of maturity? You take a, a two-year-old, um, they're not mature. And if you're in doubt, just hang around them. And then we'll make it clear. Uh, Christians, in receiving Christ, quite honestly... It's not something that just happens immediately. Sometimes we expect too much of someone that has come to Christ, particularly one that is, say, older. And we just think that automatically, oh, they're a Christian, everything's going to be great. Well, you know what? There's a growing curve, isn't there? Just like a two-year-old doesn't turn into a, a mature individual through just immediately. Well, God has a unique way of maturing us. And it's called trials. Oh, yay. <laughs> trials is what matures us. It sense, gives us a sense of endurance, and endurance gives maturity. That's how we're good, and, and amazing benefits come from God's way of building us, making us who he wants us to be. Uh, because at the end, literally, if you were going to take a picture of yourself, of where you are, uh, at the end, when Jesus or when God is done shaping you, and that's what trials do, they shape us, they mold us. You start to look at things differently, don't you? When you've, when you've endured some really tough times, uh, it's not so much fun at that time, but, you know, I can turn around and look at those, those things, events in my, now they're in, my, in the rearview mirror, shall we say. It's amazing, though. Not only are you thankful for them, there are things that grew you, there are things that built you, your faith. Uh, sometimes as you see a mountain before you and it's just overwhelming, I sometimes turn around and say, yeah, but I remember that. That was a trust builder. That was a faith builder. That was a situation that I thought was completely hopeless too. I think of the Israelites. I'll tell you what, uh, as, that, as they're growing up their little children and, that, and the dad would say, yeah, I'll tell you what, this looks pretty tough right now. There's a Red Sea event that is really, really hurling in my mind. I mean, we got the Egyptians behind us, and we got this Red Sea, and we thought we're doomed. And all of a sudden, Moses, I don't know where he got this from. Maybe God, I don't know. But anyway, he parts the Red Sea, and we, cr- we walk across, and it's dry. And I'm thinking, huh, the Egyptians will follow right behind. It doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, whoosh, and they're all dead. That's a faith builder. And it's amazing. It takes a trial to build faith. You cannot build faith without a trial. I'm going to let that soak a little bit because it's true. It's absolutely true. Now, I, And that's why, literally, it says in James, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials. They are builders. Builders. Then we talked about, well, how do we walk the life? How do we, how, what does our life look like? One that would be a one based upon, oh, I forgot to finish what we were talking about right there. As these trials come, and it teaches or builds patience, endurance, those things. By the way, I didn't come in my DNA. I didn't get the patience chip. God's been working a lot on that stuff. It's amazing how we're so not ready to wait, right? Or I am. Maybe I'm that only guy. But anyway, God's rewiring me. We're still doing that rewiring. And and, uh, I think it's Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He's going to continue this process. He's going to continue to the very end. And that's good for everyone else on the planet, that he continues to work on me. It's good stuff. Um, but you know what? At the end, when you've yielded to the Holy Spirit, when you've yielded to God in his maturity process, you know what? You look just a little bit more like Jesus. Just a little bit more like Jesus. And that's what he wants. He wants you to look a lot like Jesus. Because that's what we were to pattern our lives over a mimic. I was actually looking today uh, initially at uh, Ephesians chapter 5 is where we were going to go. But turn there for a moment. Um, I'm not sure why. I don't know why we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but we are. And we may not even be there. It was one of those days that I wasn't sure where we were supposed to be. So we're praying that God would take us there. Ephesians chapter 5, it's interesting. Um, as, and actually in chapter 4, we talked about what does a success he, we were asked to walk worthy. Um, Paul is in the first three chapters of Ephesians. He's laid out for us. This is the right thinking. This is the right theology. This is what you are in Christ. You have an amazing, amazing opportunities in Jesus Christ. And if you get your thinking right, then you can live right. So chapter 4, he bases all of that on and he says, I want you to 
walk worthy. Walk worthy. And if you can, you remember we wrote four things on the board, and they were in chapter 4. And so to walk worthy, um, he names those. This is what a worthy walk looks like. And the first one we looked at was, oh, by the way, you'll find every place in the world, the bestsellers of New York Times, all of these are just spot on, just the way society works. We'll, we'll check those off as we say them. Okay. Number one was walk humility. humility. That doesn't look like the world. That doesn't even sound like, when's the last time that somebody said, you know, you just need to be, well, wait a minute. Who wants to be more humble, right? Have you read a book, How to Be Humble? Has anybody read that book? I can't find that book, except the Bible. We are asked to be humble. Now, if you think you're humble, even if you were, you're not anymore. That's how elusive humbleness is, humility. And yet, humility is to think not less of yourself. Think carefully now. It's not, it's, in fact, if you think of pride as just as much where you are arrogant in the sense of puffing yourself up, as much as it is, say, I'm a worm, I'm a failure. I'm a, because what you've done is put the spotlight on yourself. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. Jesus Christ did that immaculately. He was truly humble. In fact, it says in Philippians chapter 2 that he humbled himself, which you're asked to do as well. And if you won't do it, guess what comes along? It's called a trial. That's what happens because he got this sense of maturity. But it's not only just humility, but the second one we talked about was meekness. There's a term, son, I'd like you to be more meek. That's a real power term, isn't it? No, it's seen as weakness around the world, and yet meekness is what? It is truly power under control. It's just like we talked about uh, a lion. A lion that, I guess we had you as the tamer, right, Paul? You were the lion tamer. And so this lion, in all its ferociousness and all of its natures that are just wild and outgoing, it's everything that makes a lion a lion. Well, Paul is able to train it and take that power and control it. Now, is... That lion any less lion after the power is under control than before? No. It's the same exact idea for us in living in meekness. If you have the power to hurt someone, someone that has hurt you, and you take that out on them, that is the opposite of meekness. Literally. Meekness is power under control. So you have humility and meekness. And what was the third one? Endurance, patience. Exactly. Living in it with an endurance. It, by the way, these build on one another. And the last one was forbearance or forbearing love. Those four things truly are part of the characteristics of a worthy walk. And you say, whoa, I don't know if I can do that. Perfect place for you to be. Because without Jesus Christ, you can't do that. It's impossible. Your walk can't be worthy without him. Those are things that come within. We talked about the Holy Spirit being obviously the active agent. In fact, one of the things I think we did last week, just gave it to you. But let's turn now to Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Because you have on board someone that allows the opportunities to do what God wants you to do. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, But you are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. And since he does, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, literally the Holy Spirit, according to the Scriptures, dwells within you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Let's take a look there for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. This changes somewhat of how we even view ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Those are amazing verses. Literally, you, after trusting Christ, you become the habitation, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. Because he dwells within you. That's amazing. That's amazing. And in chapter 5 of Ephesians, it says that, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love. And walk in love. And that originally I was studying that, and I was thinking about that, and I don't know why, but we're not there, are we, right now? We're somewhere else. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because if you look at those things as we've just unfolded those, and they're all true, 
all available. Power is yours, more than conquerors, as it said in other parts of Scripture. You can be more than a conqueror. How many of you feel like you're more than a conqueror today? There are no hands raising up. Either you didn't hear the question or you really don't feel very much like a conqueror. You know what? I don't feel like a conqueror today. <coughs> feel more like a failure at times, don't we? That pressure, that, that, it just, that overwhelmingness of some, we just haven't measured up. Wow, it's true, isn't it? I think of a lot of very, very successful people. And success is a word we'd want to put in quotes. Uh, because what God would see as success and the world would see as success is very, very, very different. But I'm thinking of, uh, I, I don't know why, but I thought of Babe Ruth. And I, I never saw him play, but I've you know, read a lot about him. And What do we know him for? What do you, what, what, if I was going to say Babe Ruth, you say, excuse me? Home runs. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly home runs in baseball. And he was kind of an icon, if you will, particularly in, a, you know, in that, that day and age and even following. Um, he played long before I you know, would have even been alive, right? And yet he, was, he held the home run record. Does anyone know how many hit, how many home runs he hit? Is there any? 714. That's exactly right. Between the two of you, you've nailed that one. (laughs) 714 home runs. That's quite a feat, particularly on a professional level, isn't it? And and he held that record for a very long time. It was broken by Hank Aaron. And I don't know if he holds the record or not. Now we're getting out on the weeds right now. But at any rate, isn't it interesting? If I say Babe Ruth, you think home runs. I thought it can be. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, Ernie, you just have a way of taking me off my game. But thanks for the honesty. Do you have one, by the way? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Pass them around. <laughs> I have to like that. Yeah. Babe Ruth the candy bar, right? <laughs> Tastes good too. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. That's right. That's right. And interesting, uh, Babe Ruth loved his sweets. He really did. If you do a study on his life. But the part that most people don't think about or know about, because he hit 714 home runs, I bet no one in this room can tell me how many times he struck out. I'm done. <laughs> because you got a swing to hit. And he struck out 1,330 times. Now, from that viewpoint, you would say he was a failure, a loser. <laughs> another one that I know, and I don't have his statistics, but another one, I guess I was always enamored with uh, Reggie Jackson's swing. I mean, you guys remember his, his career. I mean, he, he played for several different teams. I think he played for the Yankees and maybe the Mets. I don't know. It was several teams. But when he swung the bat, he gave it all. In fact, if he missed, he literally almost fell down. He swung so hard with so much intensity, so much passion. And if he hit the ball, it was gone. But if I remember correctly, he struck out three times as many times as he hit home runs. Okay? But he was remembered for home runs. So my point in all of that is to say... First of all, you have to know that failure is a possibility. It is a reality. But what are you going to focus on? What are we going to focus on? Paul has actually said something here in this first verse as we open up. And I think it's really interesting. You go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And let's take a look at verses 7 through 9. Uh, Oops, I'm in Ephesians. That's not going to work out for me. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. There we go. Chapter 4 and verse 7 particularly. He says this, but we have this treasure, the very treasure of Christ, of the Holy Spirit living within us. All of the things that you have, if you're in Christ, we have that treasure in earthen vessels. It's wrapped up in flesh. There's that sense of the weakness, if you will. And then he goes on to say, but that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And if that isn't more, if if that is so evident, one of the things, you know, you, you want to get rid of everything that's, you know, the flesh side. You read of even Paul in chapter 7 of Romans, and he said, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I should do. And isn't that sort of life? That's kind of like it is, a sanctification process. You know, you take three steps forward, and then, oh, two steps back. And so, but, but you just keep working at it. But, you know, one thing is when you have the presence of that, the flesh, that carnal nature, one thing that is always evident is when it is right, you need to give God credit. Give him the glory, because that's the only reason that it happened. 
And to have all of this, this beauty, all of these treasures within our earthen vessel, as Paul calls it. Literally, sometimes we get caught up in that by itself. Let's go to Psalm chapter 103. Psalm chapter 103. And let's take a look at how God sees and what he knows. Uh, Psalm chapter 103. And we'll look at verses 13 and 14. Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 13. Like, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And he knows us. He cares for us. He's looking out for us. For he knoweth our frame, verse 14. He knoweth everything about it. He remembereth that we are dust. He knows how weak, how frail we are. That's God. He knows our... Our failures, shall we say. Matthew chapter 26. Let's turn there for a moment. Matthew 26. This is Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. And he, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember we, uh, that week of passion. And they've just left the time, their last supper together. And they've now entered into a time which is just before his betrayal. Jesus Christ is literally knows the, 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 the expediency of his crucifixion coming. And he says to his disciples, verse 40 of chapter 26 of Matthew, he cometh unto the disciples, findeth them asleep, saying unto them, Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that exactly the way it is when you fail? When you fail the, uh, our God? It's just that weakness of the flesh. And Jesus Christ acknowledged it. In fact, he knew the difference. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, let's go there for a moment. Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we have Hebrews chapter four verse fifteen and sixteen. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's one thing that is really refreshing to me is to know that Jesus Christ walked this earth for thirty three years as a man. He knows those temptations. He knows those hurts. He knows those emotional pain. He knows all of those things, and yet it was without sin. But he is with open arms, ready to receive whatever it is and who we are coming before him. That's a, isn't that wonderful? He lived it. He was the one that literally, as it says, and I told you earlier in Philippians chapter 2, that he humbled himself even to the form of man. So why does God allow failure in our life? Why does he allow that? Because he's in charge. Why does he do that? <clears throat> Excuse me? So we can grow? Yeah. I think we, we learn from our mistakes better than They seem a little clearer, don't they? <laughs> they seem a little clearer. Yeah. I was, My dad said the, the College of Hard Knocks is always a, usually very expensive, but it's, you know, it's a good teacher, but usually very expensive. <laughs> That's right. It's very true, isn't it? And often, like, like Terry said, those, those mistakes, they're loud, aren't they? They really are. Um, I was actually, uh, well, no, I'm, I'm going to save that for a little bit later, but very, very true. Um, the things that, they're, they're th- something to build on, something to build on. I... Uh, the other thing is, is if it, it would seem as such, I'm looking, I'm thinking of, well, I'm thinking of Thomas Edison for a moment, okay? There was a guy, he was an inventor, wasn't he? He was like an inventor extraordinary. He was quite an amazing individual. Um, and on one occasion, his, his assistant was trying to cheer him up. I mean, it had just been failure after failure after failure, right? Particularly the incandescent light bulb. Now, granted, it wasn't like he was refining it. He's making it, right? This is the inventor. That's why I always say, I think of some of the things that we are gotten used to using. But before that was that, how did those guys get there, right? It's amazing. I, I look at a lot of very simple things. And, and, you know, the telephone for a moment, you know, Alexander Graham. I mean, who thought of that stuff, right? Just one thought after another. And there was failures all the way along the point. But on this particular occasion, his assistant said, um, Thomas, it's... You know, it's okay. You know, it's okay to fail. And he said, wait, whoa, whoa, stop, stop. 
We're not failing. We now know there's 700 ways not to do it. (laughs) Isn't that true? So what he's done is he's allowing failures to build the building steps to success. He's not seen it as actually in any way, shape, or form as a detriment. He's actually using it to get to where success is. Very, and it fits right with what Terry was saying, actually. Um, I was, uh, and there's a sense here, too. Well, again, I think we'll get, to, get into this in a moment, uh, is how passion lays into that as well. Uh, sometimes we fail in the small stuff to really succeed in the important things. I would much rather do it that way. You know, fail early on than when it really counts, right? Preparation. I'm thinking of, you know, a lot of the sports uh, arenas and, and, and teams and different things. You know, they're, they're preparing, they're thinking, they're actively practicing to make themselves better in a non-game situation because who knows what's going to come at you in the game. That's good life skills. And I would much rather fail in scrimmage than in the game. It's much that way. Uh, how many times do we think ahead about situations in life? Uh, what, if this happened, what would we do? And it's sometimes not enough, right? It's very important that we do that. He mentions, oh, let me go back. I'm in Matthew now. Let's go back to our text in uh, Second, Second Corinthians chapter 4. And way down in verse 18, uh, let's look at this again. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, we'll read verses 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our light affliction, the struggles, which is but for a moment, they work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Isn't that so true? Sometimes we'll fail in what would be described as the temporary that we can succeed in the eternal. Vastly more important to be succeeding in the eternal. And then on the same vein there, in the sense of failing outwardly, and it's amazing how everyone looks outwardly. They really do. I mean, the outward appearance, particularly from society's position, that it's far more important than to succeed inwardly. But that, that really is not how God works. He's always wanting to work on the inner man. He's always wanting to improve what is really who you are. Not what you do, but who you are. And that that really describes for us uh, God and it working on us in that respect. Now, as you think about, let's go to verse 16 for a moment, same chapter. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now, God is doing that actively. Each and every moment, again, those that have trusted Christ as Savior, those that, that God has bought and paid for, that the Holy Spirit is living within, He is working on you continually each and every day. I think for whatever reason, I just keep coming back to Philippians. Uh, turn with me there. Hold your spot in 2 Corinthians. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Philippians 1, 6. This is so true, and it actually adds to this verse, Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing. In fact, you can know this. This is something that is not just a, a, a thought. This is absolutely something that we know to be with a great deal of veracity and confidence. That he, God, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is continually working on you. He's renewing that inner man. He's making the good stuff that he began even better. Even better. Uh, Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Just back from Philippians, the next book back. Ephesians chapter 3. And let's take a look at probably one of my absolute favorite passages of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 17 uh, through through 19. And we're kind of diving into a prayer that, that Paul is praying in regards to the Ephesians. He says, That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of God, which passeth understand, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that he worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world, without end. 
truly amazing what God is continuing to do on the inside. And sometimes it's not as evident of the inner man versus what we'd see on the outside. As we think about what is the sometimes even the results of failure, I, I was actually asked to present an award uh, at the Red Angus Convention this week in, in Boise for a... Actually, it was posthumously. It was for a friend of mine that was killed two years ago. But his ranch, of which, uh, because of the decisions that he made as, you know, growing this, that um, they received that Breeder of the Year Award. And I, as, as, as I gave that, uh, that award and, and kind of went back and I said, starting from the beginning in Josh's life, uh, where did it start? And it was interesting to see at 13 or 14 he began showing um, animals. And there was a friend of his that actually, I didn't know them personally, but through the event of, you know, the memorial and all that sort of thing, I remember Josh doing it. You know what? He was terrible at it. Okay? But the really cool part is, is, you know, that didn't make him quit because that now you have, you don't know Josh. He was that ball of, I mean, just energy that's just out, it's just out of bounds. It was just that's the right word I'm looking for. Contagious. It was if 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 he was close to you, you had energy. He was that kind of a guy. He just took you with. He was he was just that kind of guy. But see, there's a sense of when Jesus Christ has saved you and the Holy Spirit lives within you, that passion coming from the Holy Spirit keeps you going. It keeps you motivated. It keep, and it's just as Josh's beginnings in the cattle business. It didn't slow him down. It just made him more passionate. And it was amazing, too, to see his journey, his life's journey. Uh, he was in a bit of a, a turmoil and some real adversity as he was going to college. And he was, I, I just say it, he, he needed a job really, really bad. Trying to figure out where to fit in life, right? Just didn't know. Most kids are like that, aren't they? Go to college and they just don't, where, do, what, where, wow, right? Isn't that something? That's a, that's a real tough phase oftentimes. You guys may have even struggled with it. Uh, myself, I don't know. I just thought I was always supposed to just do what I do. I don't know. But anyway, it's a, it's a tough time because where do I go? Where do I fit? And he came to a point, he, he needed a job, right? So he goes to this guy, and he became a salesman, a car salesman. And you will not believe how good he was at that. He was really good at that. But you know what? If that point of adversity hadn't brought him to the point of where he really needed that job, that would have never been unfolded or developed. Well, guess what? That owner, I don't know if it was his wife or whatever, she got very ill, and so Josh bought that business and bought another one and another one and another one. And then there was this ranch that he had driven by since he was literally a, la a teenager. Hey, oh, I love that place. That's Someday, someday, right? Well... Somebody made an offer on one of these dealerships, and that ranch came up for sale. Isn't that interesting? All of these things, what I'm saying are, and there was, there's, there's failure, and I'm using him because just I happened to give that address in this last week. But the failure part of his life literally made him better and more prepared for what was coming next. That's how it works. That's how God uses situations to make us exactly where uh, takes takes us right where we need to be now why did josh at 47 years of age go home to be with jesus i don't know but the very night before which i may have shared with some of you before he calls me because he'd listened to a podcast of that verse of those verses in ephesians that i just read i have never heard excitement in a man's voice like that before or since. We talked for two hours, did not talk about a cow. He just wanted to talk about Jesus. He just wanted to talk about, that was so amazing. And what, this was the really cool part. That's not the podcast I told him to listen to. <clears throat> but it was the one that God needed him to listen to. And I said, by the way, if you listen to the one I asked you to listen to, get back to me on that. And those are the last words that I'll ever hear, this side of heaven. He said, Larry, I'm going to get up at five and go to Middle Fork. He said, I'm going to listen to that going in. And then when I come home tomorrow night, I'm going to call you. I'll have to meet him in heaven. Because that was the day that his side-by-side -side rolled numerous times and he was killed instantly. I don't know the answers to that. But I know God's in charge. 
I know he's in control. And I know that he can use failures to make successes. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? (laughs) In fact, he usually likes it when our mindset is in a failure because he is much, we are much more open to getting him getting our attention. Is that not true? It's very true. It's very, very true. Well, one of the things with failures, too, is uh, in the sense of the importance of acknowledging them. Uh, I, actually, there was, this, was, this was good. I read this. Uh, let me see if I can get this. A man by the name of John Burroughs, which I don't know him, said this. A man can fail many times, but he isn't a failure until he begins to blame somebody else. That's really good. Isn't that good? It was just like Adam and Eve. My mind goes right back to in the Garden of Eden, right? Okay. So Satan comes through the form of a serpent. They fail. That's, that's failure. In fact, we're here today under the curse of sin because of that failure. But don't feel like you would have done any different, right? Because he was the representative for mankind. We're the recipients. We wouldn't have done any different. At any rate, so God comes to Adam. Adam, what's going on? Where are you at? It was a woman. See, now that was truly failure right there. I just wonder what would have happened if Adam said, you know what? I'm totally responsible for this. 100% God. Yesterday we walked in the garden. Yesterday we were fellowshipping together in the cool of the afternoon. Yesterday was fantastic. And I blew it. I, he didn't know the word sin. He didn't know anything about it. But he didn't take any responsibility. See, that's truly, now that's failure. And you see, have you not seen that more often than not? Someone else is at fault for your failure, correct? Take ownership. Hey, I'm there. It's all about, I did it. I did it. Acknowledge it. Sometimes in the sense of David, where literally his sin was the reason for his failure. I think of that Bathsheba um, situation. There was another man by the name of Nathan that came probably 18 months later that had to show him that he was the man. And then David wrote chap, uh, Psalm chapter 51 and what's the other one? 37? Did you say 37? I think it is. 37 51. Those are, those are Psalms of complete confession. I mean, lay it out there. God, I've sinned against you and you alone. Please forgive me. Please, you know, those those two chapters are amazing in the sense of soul depth confession from David the king. And you know what? From that point, when he literally confessed and opened it up, God knew all of those things. But when David released that, you know what happened? There was healing. There was healing. And guess what? That then that failure that was bottled up, because do you think do you think David didn't feel failure as a result? moral, Moral failure of that whole thing? Or anyone else for that matter. We're all, we're human, right? That failure is a, is a possibility. But to confess that before God and to accept his forgiveness. Turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you have, if you have a sin in your life and you think that God is, 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 uh, is holding you back, if that fellowship is broken, I'm telling you, right, it's, it's up to you to take that step. Because uh, as a Christian particularly, verse 9 of chapter 1 of 1 John says very clearly, if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse is fantastic. I'm so glad that it's there. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to be restored to fellowship. So acknowledging your failure, accepting God's forgiveness... talked a little bit about the sense of a builder, a grower, using failure to, to move towards success in the sense of Thomas Edison. Um, another man by the name of John Keats, he wrote, I didn't write the whole quote down, but actually failure is like a highway to success. Knowing what doesn't work allows us to get where we're really going to go. That's very true, actually. Um, particularly in whatever, whatever course that your life has taken you, those failures stick out and allow us to get through to the point of success. That passion is what leads us beyond failure. Um, one of the things we also... Now, here's, this is very, very, very important. There's a lot of people that go through this life, and they failed. Okay. By the way, uh, I think it was Thomas Edison. He, no, no, that wasn't. It was... Um, just a second. 
I think I might have that. Because this is really true. No, I know who it was. It was uh, Albert Einstein. He said something. Uh, Anyone who has never made a mistake has never tried anything new. Correct? Yeah. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. But if you make a mistake, there's people that are living through life considering themselves to be a failure. And they have literally just checked out of life. Completely let that failure define them. No. Don't make yourself a failure. Let me give you a good example. On that very time frame, which Jesus said, remember that verse we were in chapter 26, verse 41? He said to his disciples, that inner group, he said, come on, guys. Did you fall asleep again? Really? I mean, just you're, you're praying, right? Like, step it up. Okay, that's sort of, that was a paraphrase, but, and Peter was one of those guys. And earlier in the evening, when Jesus said, you know, you're all going to abandon me. You're all going to walk, you're all going to, not Peter, oh no, he got up in his soapbox, and he said, not me, I'm here for you to the end. I will be to the end. I'll die for you. And then Jesus just laid out rather, actually, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock will crow the next morning. What? And he didn't believe him, I'm sure he didn't, Right? And you know how it came out. He did, in fact, deny him three times. What do you think Peter felt like right now at that time? Well, in fact, it gets worse. And one of the Gospels, it says the third time, after he's denied him, that Jesus looked at him. What do you think that felt like? It says he turned and wept and went out. Uh, what would you say Peter felt like right then? A failure. Really bad failure. Because this is the guy that he said he was going to die for, right? For three years, he said, I will follow you anywhere. You are my master. You are my rabbi. You are everything that I've ever thought of. That's you. And he fa- see, Do you see what I'm saying? This is key because it's no different for us when we fail our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's easy for us to get. To- and by the way, Satan's really good at being an accuser. He was really, in fact, Jesus said that Satan would want to sift you as wheat. In that moment, which was part of that, I'm convinced, literally after Peter had denied him three times, do you know where Satan wants you after you fail? To be continued in that state of discouragement and failure. You show me a Christian that is discouraged and feels like a failure, and I'm going to show you one that's not getting anything done for Jesus. Because how could we? We're out of sync. Now, Not too far after that, Jesus appears to the disciples, to the women that find on that morning that he's not there. Or he's not dead, right? Tomb tomb is empty. Rocks rolled away. And the verse says, go and tell the disciples and Peter that I have risen. And just a few months after that, that failure that denied Jesus Christ is standing in front of a group of people in Jerusalem declaring Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior at at Pentecost. And he is a preacher on fire because he would not allow an event of failure to allow him to become a person of failure. That is massive, particularly if... That, that to me is the biggest thing is just keep going. Let, let's read this. In fact, uh, in, in second, second Corinthians, where did I put my glasses now? There they are. I have probably 3,000 pairs of these around the world. I can't find them. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Now let's watch even Paul, how he responded. Verse 8 and 9. We are troubled on every side. You know, I'll be honest. There's a whole lot of trouble out there, isn't there? There's more trouble now than I can ever remember. You, right? 2021. What a problem. What a trouble, right? Everywhere. Everywhere. Paul says, we are troubled in every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about the body about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. He's focused upon who Jesus Christ is in his life. He, that's how he gets through this stuff. You know, if you're, and I'll, I can't even share with you. This week, there's stuff that's happened that I'm just like, oh my goodness, right? I'll be able to tell you about it later. But it's crazy. It's so over the top. It's so amazing. But you know what? If I focus on that, then my God gets smaller and the problem gets bigger. 
But if I can focus on Jesus Christ, that's really, that's literally what Paul is saying. As long as my eyes are on Jesus, it'll be okay. No matter how difficult it is, I am not going to be without hope. I'm not going to be to the point of despair. I'm still okay because I'm in God's hands. And Jesus Christ, if he could save me from sin, what a better place for me to be. Now, that sometimes is not as easily done as said. Have you noticed that? When you're in that deal. And it's so easy. The door of discouragement opens up really. It's, on, it's actually, you know, those doors uh, at the, like at a restaurant or whatever, you know, where they, they're, they're, you know, yeah, you just walk through them. This, uh, discouragement has a door on it. It can just, it can come out of there so easy. It's amazing, isn't it? Discouragement is one of the Christians' largest, greatest, greatest problems. Discouragement. Because if you're discouraged, you cannot be functioning actively for Jesus. You can't be. You just can't be. What are we focusing on? What are we focusing on? Don't make it a way of life. Failure, that is. Keep getting up and going on. Now, probably the biggest challenge, along with what we just talked about, with failure is the temptation to just fail, is when we just kind of wallow around in self-pity and we feel sorry for ourselves and we invite two other people to the party. Uh, I is there and me and, and myself. And we're just there having a fantastic time of feeling sorry for ourselves. You ever been to that party? Have you ever had one of those parties? Did you host one of those parties? <laughs> you know what? We all have. We all have. And there's no way out of this. It doesn't make anyone feel any better. I'm thinking about a man that really got it wrong the first time. Have you ever had God, clearly you know what you're supposed to do, and then you just do the opposite? <laughs> there's a, I see some... There, there's a small nods right inside. I, the one I'm thinking of, and he really did it in a big way. I mean, he is flauntingly, flagrantly telling God, no! And that man's name was Jonah. Jonah was given a mission. He was to go to Nineveh, which was not a city that the Israelites would have appreciated or wanted any part of. They were outside the boundaries of the sense of, shall we say, friendlies. But God gave Jonah a job. He said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach that they're going to be destroyed unless they repent. No. It's kind of like a two-year-old, right? (laughs) He kind of said it no in a real emphatic way because he gets on a ship, and he was supposed, I don't remember which, he was supposed to go east or he was supposed to go west? Yeah, exactly. That's all that matters. Whatever direction God wanted to go, he went the opposite direction, 900 miles. That's like saying, no. That's like that two-year-old no, right? That real defiant no. Stomped his foot, maybe even it says it, right? That's how Jonah talked to God. (laughs) That's usually one where that two-year-old gets a pretty good swatting. I remember that's what, with our five kids, that was the one that would get them. When you'd stomp that foot and say no, dad was right there. It's amazing how we met. <laughs> but so he, he gets and goes off the ship. You know the story. I mean, it's nothing new. And here comes a storm out of nowhere. And ultimately, he's thrown overboard. And he, he says, because I'm the problem. He's swallowed by a fish. And, he's put on, and then God says again, uh, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to tell the people that they're going to be destroyed unless they repent. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Actually, he, he, he got after it. He went right to it and did exactly what God said. For three days, he took him to walk through this city. 600,000, uh, I understand it, 600,000 men plus women and children. It's a large, large place. And guess what? Shock of all shocks, they basically repented. It's the lar- it, from my understanding, it's one of the largest evangelization Situation and one guy, right? He was still a little bit, you know how he was. He was Jonah was Jonah, but to think of what was accomplished, because God still saw him as an instrument to be used if he would say yes. Now, if he would have got back on that ship, I don't know what would have happened next. How many times do we say no to God even after we've been asked several times? That's a good question for us. I don't know, right? Jonah was one that God used. To accomplish his purposes. Peter, we've already already talked about. But one of the keys, I think, really, is even in the sense of how we view a failure, is how we view our relationship, seeing our journey, seeing... I, I, I like that, actually. Our life's journey. Are we journeying with Jesus? 
And the one that just sticks out to me as having the right way, the right approach, and it goes back to walking worthy. Remember, the first one was humility, walking humbly. And when we live life in the manner or in the way that our journey literally is much like John the Baptist. Now, let's think about him for a moment. Um, from the outside, if you look at John the Baptist, let's describe him for a moment, okay? He, what, was he, what did he do? What would you know? What, what could we write about John the Baptist? He was what? What did he do? What did he look like? Where did he, was he? Rough around the edges. He was rough around the edges. That's pretty well put. You know, what he, he ate locusts and he had, you know, he just really, literally lived out of the sense of everything that would define what should we say? Normalcy. Okay? He baptized, right? He had a message. Repent! Or you're going to die. Really? What else do you know about him? That's what he said, yeah. And Jesus came to him to be baptized. I find that very interesting, right? That's pretty cool. In fact, he said, I can't baptize you. You should baptize me. What about later in his life? What do you know about him? He had doubts. That's right. He went and went. Where did he have his doubts, Ernie? He was in prison, right? Um, so let's say you would take a look at just his, his his life as a whole from the outside, and then he was literally right at the end. How did his life end? He was beheaded. Yeah, he was beheaded. What would you say about that life? In most cases, they would probably say that was a failure. And yet, from God's perspective, it was seen as a huge success because his journey was to literally take Jesus and to announce his coming. In fact, let's turn to uh, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And let's just take a look at this. John chapter 3. Verse 22. This is before he's imprisoned. He's still doing his thing. John chapter 3, verse 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's, John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. They came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, and the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Now, now, just get this right. So what's happening now is John is still about his ministry. He's still saying, repent for the Lamb of God is coming. This, this, the Messiah is coming. You need to repent. Get ready for him. And Jesus... He is actually, he and his disciples are carrying on with his ministry, and they're baptizing. So John's disciples said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 John. See, they see him, they see him as superior. He was there first, he's been doing it the longest, and obviously since he baptized Jesus, he must be first and foremost, right? And they said, is that, a, what, do you, what do you make of this, John? That's the question. Okay, how's he going to answer that? So John says, Verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. See, he's got his mission. His, his, his mission is clearly understood. I'm here to present Christ. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Verse 30, if, if there's anything that I would probably want on my gravestone, which I haven't told anyone this until this moment. It's exactly what he said of Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, must increase, and I must decrease. Life's journey couldn't be any more succinct than that. Jesus must be elevated, and I must decrease. That is living humility. That is walking worthy. That is literally not making any failure become a state of mind. It is truly living success in advance. And John the Baptist, as, you know, shortly thereafter, he was imprisoned. And as Ernie pointed out, he sent a couple of his disciples to Jesus. And he says, are you, are, are you really the Christ or we should look for somebody else? Now think of that. That's what isolation, and in John's case, probably discouragement, 
You've, you've done everything that you've been asked to do, and you end up in prison. Right? That's a difficult place. And the disciples came back, and Jesus said, he told them the answers to give back to him. And it was surely enough. John was okay. Don't let failure become a state of mind. May it move you to the sense of a life's journey of success. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That uh, my friend Josh, it was uh, that was one thing. He was so driven, the passion that he had. There was on that night, a couple of evenings ago. There was there's four things that, is, that just stick out to me in our world today. That we in the United States of America, just as any person, trust God, work hard, love more, fear less. Isn't it about that simple? And I think of that, that's really where God wants us. That's right where he wants us. Questions or comments? Yeah, I think Satan is, <clears throat> if it's a mistake that we make, it's just a mistake, but it, we can deal with it, but it's, it's sin in our lives that it's hard to, Satan wants us to Flogging, bogging down, and not accept, and not realize that our forgiveness is through Jesus Christ. Right. That's, and and um, the two thoughts is is if someone doesn't know Jesus Christ, first of all, but even secondarily, if sin is keeping you from fellowshipping with God, that's a Satan trick. From that's that's one hundred and one. He wants you to be separated from from the one that that literally can help you become everything that you need to be. Ephesians chapter 3 is so rich with all of the fullness of what is really literally yours in Jesus Christ. It's so amazing over the top. Sometimes I just have to sit down and just read that. I've been reading that this week. (laughs) I've been reading that this week. This is a year that it just seems like it's just ramped up, isn't it? Just ramped up. The really cool thing is, is God is no less God today than he was any time in the past nor any time in the future. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can be trusted every single moment of every single day. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness, for your graciousness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul and the amazing servant that he was. Father, these words that we've been involved with today in the scriptures and as it's just unpacked and unfolded in regards to failure. All of the biblical characters, Father, most of them failed. But it was through your power, through your working, that you not only restored them, but you put them back on the pathway. Their journey continued just as ours Living in the year we find ourselves now, those times of failings, those times of getting off track, you want us back on track, just like you did with Peter, with Jonah, and numerous others. David, you could go on, Moses. Father, when we come before you, particularly if sin is in our lives, that we would Repent and confess of that. Rejoining in fellowship with you. Satan, the accuser, spoken of in Revelation chapter 12. But Jesus Christ is our advocate. That's what he's doing right now in heaven, on the right hand of the Father. Being our defense attorney, saying that that was paid for. I paid for that. He's in me. She's in me. Father, take us from this day. Move us clearly and concisely on the pathway that you've designed for us. If we've fallen, help us to get up. Keep that stirring of passion within us, that that treasure, the Holy Spirit that literally lives within us, that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. What a thought. What an amazing thing to even contemplate that you have chosen to live within us. Father, we pray for this coming week, 
each day that passes, Father, we want to thank you for the provisions, for your help, for your strength. We ask for continued guidance and wisdom as well. Father, wherever these precious ones that have gathered today, that their life journey takes them, we would ask for their protection and safety. And also that you would be with them in their thoughts. Take them where you want them to be. Well, thank you for all that you are and all that we will become because of what you're doing in our lives. And as you're shaping us and making us just a little bit more like Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to humbly bow before your feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>